Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bezel Banter, a podcast that covers all our favorite topics, including travel, various gear, and of course, watches. I'm Leslie. And I'm Ernesto. This is episode 11, um, but first, we want to remind you about our Q&A that we're going to do next week. We've already gotten some really cool questions, and we're really thrilled to answer them. So send them our way. You can email them to us. Or you can contact us on Instagram as well. Everything's on our website or on our, on our Instagram page as well. I am at, at Ladies Wrist and Ernesto is at Ernesto Guapo 72 Or you can simply just uh, go on to our um, Instagram at Bezel Banter Media. And today on this episode, we're talking about complications. So we're picking a theme for our episodes and today's complications. Yeah, but you know what? Before we get started on complications, Leslie, what are you wearing on your wrist today? Today I'm wearing my Gégère Le Coutre for the occasion because it is uh, my most complicated watch and it's my annual calendar. So you do have a date, day, month. You also have a moon face indicator. So I thought it was perfect. That is such a great timepiece. That does have some... Very interesting complications in there from that piece. So, mm-hmm. for me, I'm wearing my Rolex Submariner Reference 14060M. And um, this timepiece is no date, so it's just a dive watch. Yeah. Nice, nice. I like a clean dial. It's gorgeous. You wear it very well. Thank you so much. So, to start this episode, we wanted to, we were asking ourselves three questions really about complications. And we wanted to structure it around those three questions. The first one is, well, we want to, of course, talk about what is a complication. And I think we have uh, both interest, uh, interesting things to say about this definition. And um, But the first question we were asking was, what is our favorite complication within our collection? We do uh, have several watches and there, there might be a recurring theme. Like I know... You, Ernesto, you love diver watches, but what is really the favorite complication that we have within our collection? The second question that we wanted to, uh, you know, we were asking ourselves is, what is our overall favorite complication? And the third one is, which is, which one is the most useful or which is according to us and what we are looking for in a complication, uh, which one we think is the most useful. So, but before we get started on those questions, um, maybe we should go ahead and address how we're defining a complication or at least a watch complication. So Leslie, what's your take on what makes a watch complication? So there's already a little bit of a debate, um, and um, there's professionals or people who do that uh, pretty much every day who pinned a definition. I was taught the definition of complication based on the FHH, which is the Fédération of Autologie, Federation of Hierology, and they're defining it as a function other than the indication of hours, minutes, or seconds. And um, so you can comprise of one or several complication, you know, in, on your watch. But interestingly, not everyone think, for example, that a tourbillon is a complication. So they defined a complication. I mean, they dissected and they created five categories for complication. And uh, they also include the tourbillon, which I am... Personally, not really, um, it's not that I disagree, but I may want to keep it more traditional in the sense of like indication other than minutes, hours, and seconds. So um, I would not personally necessarily include Tobio. Um What about you? Well, this topic is complicated enough. So, and I saw that FIHH made it even more complicated. Uh, by adding caveats. But to me, I do agree as far as complication, it's anything that provides information to the consumer more than just the time. And so that's that would be my take on what a complication is. So you're making it basically a little bit broader and they are trying to kind of like restrict it a little bit. I'm a simple guy. <laughs> hey, that's good. <laughs> that's what I'm aspiring to. So um, I like that. All right. So Leslie... In your collection, what is your favorite type of complication? 
So in my collection, my I think because I, I had to think a lot about it. I love all of my watches. They're all unique. And picking a favorite is something very difficult for me because I always tend to see the, the positive and, you know, in, in everything or what I like in, in all of my watches. So picking a, a favorite was very, very difficult. I was thinking of maybe the GMT because I love this complication. But I, I, I think because, I'm, you know, we are forcing each other to choose. My favorite is the date function. It's okay. very simple. And it's not, it's always, I mean, it's never boring. I never find that boring at all. There's different ways to design a date function. I'm thinking of the new Egerie from Vacheron Constantin. Uh, they have it on the side in like a little arc. And mm -hmm. I think it's very beautiful, very feminine in, in this situation Or you can have a very simple, you know, uh, window at the three or the six o'clock where you have th the date. It's very subtle. I like a watch without a date too. I like the simplicity, the symmetry of a watch without a date. But in my collection, I think most of my watches have a date. Uh, or at least half of my watches have a date. And I really, I really like that uh, a lot. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, they do. It is a helpful bit of information. Yeah, it it is. And but it's not too much in your face. So in terms of complication, it's really one of the most simple complication that doesn't disrupt the design of um of a dial. Yeah. And it's interesting because like you mentioned there are different brands out there that We'll put that in various places. You know, Seiko is known for putting it in like the 430 position mm -hmm. or you have, of course, with the Rolexes, they put them in the three o'clock position and there's some Omega Speedmasters, they put them in the six. And and there is something to be said about where it's placed as far as creating symmetry in that watch. And some people are really zoned in mm -hmm. on the symmetry of the dial. And of course, you'd put it in the six. So, yeah, it's neat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and when talking about symmetry, it makes me think of also the Elonga and Zona date, which is very different. So it's a digital date. They uh, create, they don't put a zero, they create a space. So people love it or hate it generally because it can be very symmetrical or it can be very different when you look at it. Um, the digital date is, is, is a beautiful way of displaying a date. It's a little bit more noticeable, But it's, I mean, it's different than the traditional three o'clock, you know, very small with or without a cyclop on the, um, on the crystal. There's, uh, there's plenty of ways to displaying a date, but you can make it as minimalistic as, as you want. You know, th what's interesting about the dates too, historically, dates have been put as a complication like in the late 1900s with regards to like the pocket watches. And it was only, I think in like 1915 when um, like a Hammerly, which was a watchmaker in Switzerland ended up developing and patenting two different complications for, for watches. because he was a, he was a watchmaker and one of them was like a calendar complication. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of what we now know today as the pointer date. We sometimes see it in the pointer date with like the Oris watches, right? And so he, mm -hmm. he actually came up with that. The other one was like to know the day of the week. Um, and this was like in 1915. He was working on the patents for that. And then he ended up, you know, a few, few years later, there were various um, brands like uh, H. Moser and also Waltham that they ended mm -hmm. up using those complications in their watches. So even in the 20th century, mm -hmm early on we started seeing those complications come into watches and it was really only like in 1945 I think or in the mid 40s where Rolex popularized it with like the date just and they were the ones in the date world that were known for a date that actually moved and you know it was it was fascinating mm -hmm. for okay. me to understand like the history behind the date complication yeah that's very interesting thank you for sharing that with us you know for me um in my collection mm -hmm. and some of you guys already would guess this um for me it would be it would be the rotating dive bezel you would consider that a complication I do. because and here's why 
Okay. Because okay. I it tells you information outside of the time. So, you know, historically that was used, I think it came out in like the 50s. And there were um, three brands that really popularized that rotating dive bezel, which was, of course, Blancpain, Rolex, and Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Those guys were zoned in on divers and because scuba was a big deal back then, right? It was Jacques Cousteau yeah. and everything. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. they're the three brands that really started, and they were in the frontier of that particular complication. And then, of course, so many other brands have followed ever since, right? And a lot of sports watches have that bezel. For me, I'm not a diver. Um, you know, so for me, it's like, hey, when do I flip my steak? <laughs> oh, four minutes? Okay. So I'm timing it basically with the dive bezel instead of like a chronograph. <laughs> so it's just, it's something for me that I know something's going to take less than an hour. And I'm just going to go ahead and use that tool. Uh, or a complication, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I, you're you're the first person who brought this. I mean, or thinking about the dive bezel this way, the first person of um, you know, yeah. And and I think I talked to a lot of watch people, and I've talked a lot about watches over the last seven years, uh, for sure. And this has never been brought to my attention. So I never considered it because for me, it was really in the most traditional sense of the term, it's a Mm -hmm. complication to the movement. So the case wasn't a part of it and it never occurred to me that it could be understood this way. Um, so it's very interesting. That's interesting that I'm, I'm the only one that has opened that conversation with you because now I'm probably going to get a lot of hate um, comments, <laughs> get a lot of hate in the comments. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. But I'm, no. I, I'm curious. Like to our listeners, would they consider that a complication, or you know, are we, you know, I'm just wondering. Like, was that is it a complication in their mind? Yeah, that would be interesting to know. Really interesting because it's never crossed any conversation I've ever had before about watches and complication. Again, I was very traditional in the sense of even for me, a tourbillon is not a complication. And um, during a training with the FHH, so they they mentioned mm-hmm. the the five categories, and they made a lot of sense. And so I was like, well, okay, well, I, I can see your point. It is something extra to the movement. But now we're talking about the bezel and we're talking about the case. And so can other aspects of a case be considered a complication? Should the FHH add a sixth category pretty much? I'm um, I'm wondering now. And if they do add it, can I get credit for them adding that number six? Yes. Hey, it's going to be timed and, you know, stamped and, and, and all of that. Perfect. So, uh, Yes. That's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) I'm in the record books now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Definitely. No, but that's very interesting. I don't think I would necessarily personally agree. Not that it's, you know, life or death. Right. We're not, we're not necessarily solving world problems here. (laughs) No, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) So, Again, because I would not personally put a tourbillon as a complication, but I'm not ag- against and I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I have to think about it. And the other thing, too, are there are different types of divers bezels, too. All, all of them rotate. Um, the main sure. thing that I see that it's unidirectional. That's really what you want because, I mean, you're, you're dealing with people's lives underwater. And so you don't want it to go the other way, of course. Oh, so yeah. I don't think it can be categorized a dive watch per se if it doesn't have a uni- unidirectional bezel. Like it cannot be considered a dive watch if it doesn't have the seconds in some ways, either central second or sub-second. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, one of the criteria for the ISO 6425, I think, if I'm getting mm-hmm. that number correctly, please guys correct me if that number is wrong. But if... If I'm correct, that basically that's a criteria that deems a diver's watch. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to have that. You know, the other thing too is there are so many different types of 
bezels, right? So I, I think about doxa too, because yeah. um, again, I am not a diver, but there's an importance of deep mm-hmm. water diving and decompression, right? So you, in order not to get the bends, you have to ser- stay at a certain level in a water table for a certain amount of time. So your body can like equilibrate. And so the neat thing is if you ever get a chance to look at a doxa, the bezel in itself, it, it closely uh, marks how many feet. So if you're diving a hundred feet, they're telling you that you need to be um, underwater for like 25 minutes and you need to get yourself, you have 25 minutes mm-hmm. to get up back into the nice. surface. And so that you don't have to, there's like no decompression necessary. Um, yeah. You know, the other thing about bezels too is, and, and I remember there are two brands out there that I really um, am fascinated by the super compressor style diver. And the super compressor oftentimes mm-hmm. has that inner bezel, inner rotating bezel. And so instead of usually one crown, you'll have like two crowns. One of the crowns is to move that bezel. Yeah, like the Polaris from Jager de Coudre. Very nice <laughs> reference. That one and the other one that I think about too, there are actually two that I think about. It's the IWC. Uh, the Aquatimer first came out. That was the first, you know, that was the first iteration of the Aquatimer. I was trying to like be a bit more varied because I feel like I was talking a lot about IWC lately. So I'm like, okay, let me Well, it's a nice brand else. to talk about. They're, they're a good brand to talk it's about. Another brand. Um, but the other one too that was a competitor to that was the um, Longines and that was the legendary diver. And both of them are super compressors. Now, when I was doing my research and I've read about, you know, guys, I'm a dive fanatic, um, at least dive watch fanatic. When I was reading through that, it happened in the 60s is when the super compressor came out. So it took about a decade before that really became established. So one day I'm hoping to have a, some form of that super compressor in my collection. That would be, that'd be hashtag watch goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, we need to have an episode about divers. Honestly, we need to have an episode. Yeah, really, really. Cause there's just so much to say and I have so much to learn and I believe our listeners too. Leslie, I'm in. Good. All right. Well, that's cool. Off to our next question, Leslie. If there's a favorite complication overall, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be in your collection, what complication would that be for you? This one was very easy to pick because it's been my favorite complication for a very, very long time. And since I started learning about complications, it is the minute repeater. I, I, I love this complication. It's so poetic. It's Probably it is the only, I mean, when you think traditionally of a watch, you think of a dial, you think, you, you know, it's very, it involves, you know, the sights, it involves also the touch, you know, you're touching the crown, you're changing the time, you put it on your wrist. And maybe if you have a loud rotor, uh, you you might hear a little bit of noise when it's <laughs> yeah. when it's No moving. brands mentioned. Uh, but that's pretty much. <laughs> it's it's pretty much it with the minute repeater it involves another sense and it's um different it's a different approach to the traditional way of experiencing time it's mesmerizing in a way that's why one of my favorite watch is the concept swiss alp Mm-hmm. I believe that's from Moser. So it looks like an Apple watch, but there's no hand. There's no time displayed. It's just a minute repeater. And to adjust the time, you do it through the crown and there's little um, um, markers on it. So you can only uh, oh, do it in nice. increments of 15 minutes. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's a beautiful watch. But it's, uh, yes, the minute repeater, hands down. Leslie, if you don't mind, for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with Minute Repeater, do you mind sharing like how that complication works? Yes, of course. So without going and dwelling like deep in, in the movement, it's a complication that sings or rings the time. And so you will have uh, different gongs and different sounds, three to be uh, exact, one will ring the the hours, one will ring the quarters, and one will ring the minutes in that order. And so you'll have sounds that are a little... Um, I'm not so familiar with, you know, the 
the vocabulary for sound, but one will be a little bit deeper, one will be a little bit with a higher pitch, and you can find, you know, lots of videos, and I'll put some videos in, in um, also on the website in the show notes. But it will start with the hours, so it will ring, let's say, uh, it's two hours and 46 minutes, so you will hear a, a ding for the hours, and then you will hear a double ding for the quarters, and so if it's 46, you will hear three. So it'll be ding, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And then you'll have a higher pitch uh, ring for the, the last minutes to make 46. I'm sorry, I'm no. not a good singer. <laughs> I mean, it's very approximative what I'm saying, but that's basically what it is. Right. And so you'll have a little lever that you'll uh, you'll slide on the side. And, and the, that lever is always very... Um, I mean, it's part of the case almost. So you rarely see it unless you want to look for it or you know there's one. It's, it, you don't really notice it. So the, the watch, most of the time, you can have a really right. high complicated watch. But most of the minute repeaters will be just hours and minutes, sometimes not even seconds. And you'll have that little lever on the side. And you'll you action the movement, and uh, if you can see the movement, you'll see the gong. Um, st- they, you know they'll start to to move, and um, and you can hear the time. So this is for a minute repeater. It's not like a grande sonnerie or petite sonnerie, which will do it automatically without any action from you. And so this can be a little bit. It can be a little bit too much. Uh, especially, you know, you're in a meeting and you'll sing, you know, it can just do it just for the hours. So on every time, you know, it's, you know, at two, it'll ring two, at three, it'll ring three. Sometimes it'll do also the minutes or the quarters or, you know, things like that. So that can be a little bit overwhelming. The minute repeater, you really need, you need to, you know, slide that yeah action and slide that lever. Um, that That's quite interesting. And so I would assume too that the chimes are going to be characteristic of that specific brand so is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah yes definitely you'll have some that are going to be Mm -hmm. very more pleasing to hear Uh, they'll sound more mechanical they'll sound um yeah i i want to say yeah more more pleasing more like music some will sound really like uh, like two pieces of metal against each other and you're like, huh. Some will be louder than some others. So really, like, I mean, if you're into in, into sound right. and into music, you'll know that two, uh, like two instruments or two uh, pieces of equipment will not sound the same. And we've had a, a while back, a collectors were also collecting minute repeaters and it was very... Um, I mean, this was something very important for him. They had to be, you know, loud a certain way and they had to sound a certain way. And even two watches that are, uh, you know, that have same brand, same same model number can sound a little bit different because ultimately it's man-made. You know, I got to think that if you're at a watch meetup, it would be a very welcome sound. If you were at a board mm-hmm. meeting, it'd probably be a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's why minute repeater, not a petite or a grand sonnerie, right. um, for for, the, for that reason. But yeah, and it's it's not something it's something just for you because again, most people won't notice it, mm-hmm. and it's extremely expensive, of oh. course, uh, one of the most expensive complication, and for in the end not seeing it visually, you don't see anything. You just see that very small lever and you're like wondering, you might not even see that lever at all. So it's, it's very personal, but it's, um, yeah, it's definitely by far my favorite. Hey, Leslie. So I want to ask you this question and I know this is going to be a tough one, but if there was only one minute repeater that you can add into your collection, which minute repeater would that be? Only one? I know. I know. <laughs> no, I really need to choose one. I know. We talked about this limiting question stuff. I oh I got a talking to about this by you, but like, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit you to one. This is awful. This is torture. Sorry. Um, no, no, that's... Um, so, yes, if I were to pick only one and I would pick... Uh, actually, it's my favorite watch. It's still nowadays... 
I was asked that question, you know, if I were to only pick one watch, mm-hmm. which one it would be. And so it was a miniature repeater. It was from Vacheron Constantin. It's part of their cabinetier collection and more, uh, you know, more precisely the um, collection La Musique du Temps from uh, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a miniature repeater because we're on a topic of miniature repeater. It's the ultra thin. So it is... It looked a little smaller, but it's a 41 millimeter, very, very thin. It was one of the thinnest movements. Actually, probably the thinnest uh, repeater caliber. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say 100%, but if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's... I mean, it's definitely one of the thinnest minute repeater um, movement and caliber. It has a grand phenomenal white dial and, and breguet numbers. So yes, this would be... This would be it. If I were to pick one watch and, and, you know, in this situation, one minute repeater, this would be it. It sounds amazing. Maybe yeah. maybe we can put it in the show notes so that, that our listeners can see that timepiece. Yes. Yes, I will definitely do that. Awesome. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's very traditional, very simple, very classic, but perfect in, in, in every way. If you were asking me, you know, do you have another one? Yes, I do have a second one. So, <laughs> but we'll, we'll stick to one, I guess. <laughs> Sounds, sounds like a plan. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes still. I'm case. sure you will. <laughs> I have such a hard time. You know how it is. I mean, we, it's so difficult. Who's kidding who, Leslie? You have like three more just in case. <laughs> you know what? If I, say, if I say my second one, probably a third one will come right I, after I'm it. sure. But so far, because we stick to one, I, I just thought of a second one, not, not of, a, of a third one. If so. I give you five more minutes, two more would appear. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, JK. <most> JK. <laughs> most likely. Okay. Well, enough about, uh, about minute repeaters. What about you? What's your favorite overall complication? For me, my favorite overall complication is the GMT. Nice. That to me, um, I like that complication because if I'm traveling, I can set it to where I am and where I want to track, the Mm -hmm. time zone that I want to track. But if I'm not traveling, I can also track a time zone that something important is going on. Uh, And so for me, I like that. I just like knowing that there are other time zones than the time zone that I'm existing on, especially because throughout these past few years, you and I have developed um, friendships throughout the globe with the watch Mm -hmm. fam. And so it makes me think about, oh, you know, uh, I'm responding to them and they're probably sleeping. (laughs) They're in a totally different time zone. So having that GMT to me is a reminder that, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have friends throughout the globe and and have relationships of people throughout the globe really is what it mm-hmm. comes down to for me. But, you know, when we think about GMT, we think automatically about the Rolex GMT mm-hmm. and and the history behind that. But in reality, the first GMT was actually the Glycine Airmen. I don't know if you knew that, but it wasn't Rolex. I, I heard there were some debates okay. with the Rolex, and um, but it was still popular belief, or it was still accepted that the Rolex was the first one. I think that there are going to be stories throughout. What, what I find interesting is that the Glycine Airmen, at least from what I'm, or I've read, um, there was an executive from Glycine who... You know, back in the day, this was in 1953 that Glycine came out with the Airmen. And a little bit before that time frame, back in the day, like the cockpit of the airplanes, it was kind of open. Like you could talk to the pilot and you can see what was going on in the cockpit as they were flying. Of course, you can't do that today. But Mm -hmm. there was a conversation, I guess, with a pilot and this executive and this pilot, I think it was like Thai Airlines, if I remember the story correctly. But he, they had this conversation and, and the pilot shared with him that this would be great to go ahead and being able to, you know, manage two different time zones at the same time because mm-hmm. we fly all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so that happened in 53. But you're absolutely right. Like Rolex 
ran with it because in 1955, Rolex came out with their first um, GMT. And it was because of Pan Am wanting them to go ahead and and um, come up with that complication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really, uh, yeah, really interesting. And it makes total sense that it's your your favorite because I already told you, if I can associate a watch to you, it's that Batman. And even, you know, I know you love divers, but mm-hmm. it would be more of a GMT if you were, if I were to think of a complication, because we, we developed that friendship over, well, over that GMT, really. Sure, the Black Bay was the one that started it all. Sure. But that's really when, when you... The day you got your Batman and the whole, like, you know, your son was here and we I really felt that, yeah, well, we developed a real friendship. Oh, I was, you know, I, I made a, a terrible joke and I was comfortable making that joke, <laughs> which I wouldn't have done it to, you know, any other client. <laughs> I, I think it was an awesome joke. I, I love that joke, by the way. But, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's when our friendship took a different level with that particular watch. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And and that being said, I've had GMTs before that watch. So I, Yeah, you did. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have, and I still have today, my, my Rolex Coke. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, the Explorer 2. I've had a couple of different Explorer 2s actually yeah. in the past. But, I you know, I just like that GMT function. Mm-hmm. And actually, I can't can't also forget that Grand Seiko makes a cool GMT as well too but yeah, yeah there's so many different um you can't have all the watches I guess <laughs> I guess it's tough yes it's tough yes, you'll go broke and, <laughs> oh my god even even broke will will not even suffice yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <gasps> oh. yeah but uh yeah the GMT it's 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 such a great it's such a useful complication I can relate to I'm French I've had s- such a habit of calculating, you know, the plus and minus six because there's a six hour, mm-hmm. you know, a difference with, with friends. So it's becoming second nature for me. But I can see for someone who travels and someone who, you know, loves traveling. And, and I know you also have like coworkers and, and you know, f- in other states and time zones. Mm-hmm. It's extremely useful. It's it's beautiful. I mean, a GMT watch is a beautiful watch. It adds it adds information, but not too much. Right. And um, I don't know. It's like being at two different places at one time, and just you're looking at that wrist, and and it can evoke, you know, your family overseas, or it can evoke work, or all, all you know, all these exciting feelings. Um, all in one watch. So it's, it's awesome. Very true. And you know, when we think about GMT, at least maybe when I think about GMT, we think a lot about like the Rolex, the Mm -hmm. Pepsi. We think about Batman's. We think about, we think about GMT's with that bezel. And when you have that bezel, you're able to go ahead and manage three different time zones. Mm-hmm, true, but a GMT doesn't necessarily have to manage three times. It could just manage two time zones. So some watches without that bezel, we'll still be able to manage two different time zones. And so, you know, you can have a dressier complication than the sports looking complication that you would get from like a GMT master two, for example. Yeah, Leslie. So that's my number two, um, GMT complication. Nice. So what about the most useful complication, whether it's in your collection or not, what would you say would be the most useful complication? Um, because again, we're going back to the definition of an added piece of information. I feel depending on the situation, a complication can be more useful than another one. But overall, I wanted to say the date at first, but I think I will go a little further and say the perpetual calendar. Okay. Um, because I was looking at dates as well, and, and I know this is the, my favorite complication in my collection. Um, but the more I was looking, the more I was like, well, I also have a calendar complication, and it's great. I know it's sometimes, but because I don't wear it often, setting it is sometimes it is, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to say um, annoying because it isn't. But it takes, it requires, 
a little stylus and, um, you know, I need to look at my phone. Okay, what dates, what day? And, and it, there's a certain way of setting it up. Mm-hmm. And so it can take a little bit longer to set it. So I was like, well, perpetual calendar, once you set it, it's set. There's different, of course, perpetual calendars and different ways of setting it. You, some of them will have a stylus, so some of them will, you know, will go through the same system as I'm going through with my with my calendar. Mm-hmm. Some of them will only have a crown. And it's a very interesting uh, it, it, history also for complication. But I think overall, this is the, um, the most useful. And I think it will always be more useful in general than any other complication. You know, you made me think a little bit when you're talking about that, because as long as it's being wound, like you said, you don't have any um, need for human interface, right? As long as it's being wound. And for some of the listeners out there that may not be used to a perpetual calendar, there are a couple of different other complications similar to these calendar complications that we're talking about. And that's the triple calendar and also the uh, annual calendar, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and the triple calendar is the one that you would have to interface the most because you have to change, like, depending upon what month it is, it doesn't really give you the month. So mm-hmm. if it's 30 days versus 31 days. You had you had one too. You had the same one as I as mine, triple calendar, the Jejard Lecou triple calendar. I did. Um, the difference between yours and mine was that yours had the meteorite dial and mine mm-hmm. didn't. Yep. And I, I enjoyed that timepiece. I like that timepiece. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to learn about myself because of that timepiece, um, that I'm more simplistic in, mm-hmm. in my um, choice for watches. While I totally respect the Zizha Lacoult's ability to make a, an amazing movement, mm-hmm. I'm a simple guy, like I said earlier in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's like, oh, and to, to share with you how simple I am. So you talked about having a stylus. I carried around mm-hmm. a toothpick, Leslie, because that's how simple I am. I would just use a toothpick to push the buttons yeah. to get it there. But that would work. Yeah, it, you know, it's a great timepiece. Um, but I, I love your choice of that perpetual calendar because you're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, it is able to go ahead and keep track of what month it is to know how many days there are in that month, and it's a it's an amazing movement. Absolutely. Yeah, it- it does, and it's so well done that it tracks and takes into account leap years too. Mm-hmm. And so, I like my perpetual calendars with the year. I know some uh, you don't need to have necessarily a year on your perpetual calendars, but I like mine to have the year for sure. And once it's set up, most of them will be good to go for hundreds of years. At some point, well, I mean, they require maintenance, obviously. And at some point, you'll need to change that little wheel for the year because, I mean, when it comes to being, you know, 2100 or things like that. But you will have that little wheel in in the box. So they really think of everything, right? But yes, everything is, as long as you wear it, obviously, or you put it in a winder. And for that, this would be... I mean, I think we should sell any perpetual calendar. It should be with a winder. This should be like a no, no brainer. Uh, it shouldn't be like, well, do you want a winder? No. You buy a perpetual calendar with what you're paying for. They can include a winder that's like basically, you know, $50 to $100 cost or whatever. It should be a gift because, well, it can be, if you're not wearing it often, a lot of mistakes can happen. Yes. And going back to our service, huh? It becomes very expensive, and it, it's and it's simply tedious. Uh, also, if you with a perpetual calendar, so yes, you will have the day date, you will have the the months, you'll have the year. Most of them will also have at least one moon phase. Mm-hmm. Most of them will have at least one moon phase. Yes, and um, so you'll have all the indication. It's generally it's it's still very legible, and some of them will be more legible than others. But it's, yeah, uh, you, you'll need to wear it for sure. You'll need to wear it. I have, I have crazy stories of people going back and forth. Oh, yeah, but I'm traveling so much. So, uh, you know, with the time zones, I'm, I'm moving my watch backwards. I'm like, oh, my goodness, no, don't do that on a perpetual calendar. There's just so many gears involved. 
yeah, no wonder you're you're kind of like you know screwing it up and um, you know and and interestingly enough, um, because I did a little bit more research about the the perpetual calendar, it was created by an Englishman, Thomas Mudge, exactly, who was an orologist, and it was in 1762. So it's still you know pretty, I mean, recent, I would say. Then the first wristwatch perpetual calendar was with Paddock. For a hundred years between the both of them, I mean, there was no other perpetual calendars. It was really, it wasn't really something that seemed to be interesting, or maybe it was something of a you know cost effective, and people you know, well, it was it, it was costing too much, and they were not really interested in wearing something like this. Soon after the Paddock, there was Breguet, we, which made the smallest caliber, and then soon after there was also Gégère de Coutre. And that was in uh, 1937. In the 1960s, they introduced the first automatic calibers for perpetual calendar. And, well, most of them will will have those little... Um, you'll have a stylus and in, in to adjust it. So you'll have little knobs or, you know, little pushers on the side. Uh, so it's really... You, you don't really see them, but you can really change everything independently, right? Right. Well, IWC, and I know we've talked a lot about IWC, but they created, with Kirk Klaus, they create, I mean, he created the first perpetual calendar that was the most user-friendly because everything was actioned through the gear and, and the crown, I mean. So basically, one turn of the crown would change one day. And the, so that's the one where you can't really go back and forth between days. Uh, if something happens and you move forward too much, well, just pull the crown, wait, you know, put it in, in a you know, location that doesn't have a lot of humidity, wait for a few days. If it's, you know, more than a few days, then you might, you know, have to send it. Um, but um, it's, it's extremely easy and it's like the most no-brainer perpetual calendar that could possibly exist. It's just that simple beautiful so i'm curious why would you pull the crown why would you just let the watch run out of its power reserve well it has an eight day power reserve so okay uh you know you 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 could do that uh and and let it run you know through the power reserve but sometimes it's just a day for example you know you just went a little bit oh well we're the uh you know we're the 15th or we're the 20th but you know i went a little too far and bam we're the 21st gotcha so then you just pull the crown, especially if it's wound, you know, entirely. Mm-hmm. You can do that. It's not going to damage uh, the watch. Actually, I've seen boutiques doing this, setting their watch at 1010 and pulling the crown. So the watch always look at 1010. And I've asked that question. And it was in Zurich, actually. I'm like, well, wouldn't it damage the movement? I mean, what about the humidity? And they're like, well, no. I mean, just for... For the short period of time they're in the store, and, and I mean, of course, it's not Florida during right, rainy right. season, <laughs> but uh, there, you know, for a day, it's, it's, it's totally fine, or a couple of days, it's totally fine. Yeah, and they can just put it back in the safe anyway. Oftentimes, the safe is going to have like the dehumidifiers and stuff, so you're not going to yeah. have that issue. Um, so, you know, I'm going to ask you this question. So what perpetual calendar would you want in your collection? You always ask me, and you always ask it like when I'm not prepared. I should be prepared. I should know. I should know you would ask that question. The reason why is because I can tell you which perpetual calendar I would like in my collection. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, if you know, then please share it with me because I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Between IWC and Gégère Le Coutre. Oh, or or the overseas perpetual calendar, oh, you know nice that too. one skeleton is nice too. Yeah, I I wouldn't know. What about you? So for me, I, I think that it would be the IWC again. I'm not a complications guy. I'm pretty simple to begin with, but I find that that um, perpetual calendar that IWC makes not only from a technical perspective, but from an aesthetic perspective, that gray kind of like slate dial color to me gorgeous i mean so that's probably the one that i would love to have in my collection but you know for me it, it's just gonna sit in the watch winder the whole time <laughs> I'm probably wear it because it's not you know, robust enough <laughs> no no that i can assure you <laughs> definitely not and please don't use it as a robust watch. right right it's not going to be robust enough <laughs> no no but thank you for the drink i only have coffee today so i'm not drinking anything exciting either <laughs> <laughs> But it's okay. You don't have to save the word robust for when we're drinking, uh, 
you know, True. bourbon or, or else. Or whatever else. <laughs> or eggnog, I guess. Or eggnog. <laughs> so for me, what I believe is the most useful complication is the date. It's really just the date. and um, Nice, yeah. You know, just having it there. And I know we talked a little bit about the asymmetry that it might create on a dial. Or, you know, it doesn't give that dial that uh, minimalistic look. But it does come in handy. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I personally am too lazy to grab my phone out of my back pocket, um, <laughs> just pick up my wrist and I'm, oh, I've got a date. So... Well, it's easier. Even when you write, you just, you know, slightly look at your wrist, up, bam, date. And and I know it's been extremely useful over the years uh, for me to the point where at some point I work, I would only wear a date watch um, because, yeah, I I needed the date often and time flies. So it's it's very, um, yeah, it's very useful. And you like some, you know, very simplistic clean dials so it makes sense it's funny you say that because i tend to notice me doing that like when i'm working or if i'm out there and i've got meetings throughout yes Mm -hmm. i'm gonna end up most likely strategically wearing a watch with a date Mm -hmm. and then the days that you know a weekend or i know that i'm just chilling out it's like okay i'm wearing like a field watch or my 14060m for example with no date because it mm-hmm. just, yeah, know, the date doesn't matter at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's something about a watch without a date, too. Oh, I agree. Yeah, nice. And, and I mean, it's like the almost impossible question, which is your favorite watch with a date? <laughs> I mean, so I won't ask you that one. Uh, I'll ask you, what bothers you the most about having, like, when there's a date on a watch? Like, is there some, like some placement that bothers you or, you know, not so much. Um, but I will tell you before you and I had a conversation recently. So for those of you that follow me on at Ernesto Guapo 72, I do have a vintage Rolex Datejust. It was actually my first, um, Datejust or first Rolex, I should say that I ever purchased. And it's, it's a birth year for me. And, um, that particular watch, until you and I had that conversation, you know, if that date was like a few days off, I thought that I had to wind it through all 24 hours before that date would actually click to the next day. And then you, thank you so much, Leslie, you taught me that trick <laughs> that you can just kind of go back and forth with it. And I was like, wow, that saved me a lot of time. I wish we had that conversation sooner. So. I that was my that was my only gripe about the date complication. Other than that, I'm really not I'm really not too picky about the date or the day. What about you? Do you have any kind of thoughts behind date challenges? No, uh, I know sometimes when it's too no- noticeable. I'm not a huge fan of the cyclop, but it doesn't really bother me that much. I've had a lot of people asking me about the Mark 18 IWC because that date is not really aligned. Uh, and they were like, well, it's because, you know, it's not in-house movement and blah, 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 the way the movement is and the date's positioned. And yeah, if you look at it closely, it's not really aligned, mm-hmm. but it never bothered me at all. If you have a black dial and you have like a white, you know, wheel for the dial, for the date, sometimes it's just a little too noticeable and it's like strange. Um, but otherwise, no, not at all. Um, I I like the creativity that some, some watchmaker and designers have with their dates. I really do. Uh, I like the, the classic, of course, at the three o'clock. I like it at, I really like it at the six o'clock too. I really do. Uh, or simply at the 12 double, uh, you know, the, the digital display. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, no, I'm, I don't think, yeah, I don't have anything pet peeve in, you know, in regards to a date. But I know some people are very outspoken and very uh, have a very uh, intense position or you know opinion about about dates sometimes. You know, when it comes to watches, I try my best to be an equal opportunist. <laughs> I'll give anybody a chance <laughs> or any watch a chance. <laughs> right. Oh, so that's yeah, that's cool. You good, Leslie? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm uh, still keep thinking about other. Um, Minute repeaters, but uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Just a just a few more minutes. 
<laughs> now we have a list. Right. Now we do. Well, oh. I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed our conversation today. And I, I really want to I want to thank you so much for taking some time out with me today to kind of go over our thoughts regarding complications. Yeah, no, that it's always a pleasure. Um and um yeah. It's it's always a pleasure to talk watches, and I love when you nerd out and you start, you know, giving all this these facts. <laughs> and I know our listeners they they do love that too. So um, well, I, thank you for that. I appreciate you. I appreciate our listeners. I hope they get a chance to go ahead and take some time and give us your insight with regards to um, complications. What are some of your favorite complications? What mm-hmm. complications yeah. can you not live without, or what complications? really aren't as important to you that'd be kind of cool to see and of course please feel free to hashtag us on some of your posts so we can see exactly which watches you're talking about Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so as leslie mentioned earlier in this episode please don't forget to ask your questions because we are hoping to address all of your questions next week on episode number 12 Yes, it's next week already. Wow, that's that's moving. <laughs> and it's episode 12 already. It's, it's yes. moving by so quickly. But, right. uh, well, anyway, again, thank you, everybody. This is probably mm-hmm. a great place to go ahead and uh, wrap things up. We appreciate you guys taking time with us on Bezel Banter. Uh, don't forget to hit the show notes for more details and links. You can follow us on Instagram. Leslie is at Ladies Wrist, and I'm at Ernesto Guapo 72 And you can follow the show at, at Bezel Banter Media. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us either on Instagram or at uh, bezelbanter at gmail.com. And please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast because it truly helps us out. Additionally, you can grab this episode and other episodes at www.bezelbanter.com. Thanks again, and we look forward to catching up with you next week on another episode of Bezel Banter. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.